In the time of Reagan, and before the rise of Seagal, Snipes, and Van Damme, there was an age undreamed of. Unto this land came Arnold the Austrian. He was a barbarian, a demigod, a killer robot from the future, and he was destined to wear the crown of Hollywood upon a troubled brow. It is only his chroniclers, Mike Gillis and Casey Doran, who can tell you of his legend. This is his saga. Podcast de la Vista, baby. Dun 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 dun. <laughs> dun 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 dun. Wah wah wah. <laughs> oh, hey, hey, there's a there's a 15 day wait on the handguns, but you can take the rifles home now. <laughs> so, holy shit. Welcome everyone to Terminator Month. <sighs> oh. Uh, this is it's it's the amount of preparation that we when this is actually released that we've actually done to make Terminator Month happen is quite astounding actually. So, yeah, we are talking to you from the distant past <laughs> to talk about what is quite possibly the defining Arnold Schwarzenegger? Well, role. I mean, we're, you're probably listening to this uh, right after Donald Trump's inauguration, so <laughs> of course we're thinking about the world in a very post-apocalyptic terms. Am I right? And the far future of <laughs> 2029. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this is—I gotta say, Terminator, the Terminator. It, this is going to be the first line of Arnold Schwarzenegger's obituary. That, that's true. And uh, to read that obituary with us is uh, frequent panelist Matt Goodman. Hey, how's it going, Matt? I'm. This is really fantastic to be here. So, Matt, we're we're, we're happy to have you here. Oh, absolutely. Uh, one of the things that we we ask people to do on this show is to strip. Well, <laughs> after that, <laughs> is uh, can you give us a bit of your history with the movies of Arnold Schwarzenegger? And uh, are you a fan of this guy? Yes, yes, I am. I mean, uh, recently, uh, I haven't seen a lot of his l- latest pictures, but um, I think I was with him at the beginning because I saw Conan, the original Conan the Barbarian, when I was very, very young, and uh, what it probably was one of the first radar movies I'd ever seen. I saw it with my parents, sitting between in between my mother and my father when he, you know, it gets kind of raunchy in there for a bit. Yeah. And <laughs> yes. there's a lot of heads being lopped off and stuff like that. And camels or horses being punched. Right. Horses being punched in the mouth. And I mean, that was his first big movie. Years later I saw uh, Hercules in New York, which oh is God. him as Arnold Stang when they dub his voice, and that that doesn't really count. <laughs> so I'd have to say that Conan um, set me up, and then once I saw Jim Cameron's Terminator, it literally changed, and that word is used so often, but it literally changed my life, and I can say definitively that I wouldn't be sitting in this chair talking to you guys and have the life I've had if it wasn't for the day I took the bus to go see the Terminator. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. So that was quite a momentous day in 1984. And as you said, you set us up that this was a movie directed by, of course, the great James Cameron, who would work with Arnold a couple times, actually, on Terminator 2, Judgment Day. Uh, he also did True Lies with him. Also did Titanic, The Abyss, Avatar, Aliens. Arnold Schwarzenegger was an Avatar? No, no. <laughs> oh, oh, but, oh. And he also co-wrote the script for Terminator right. with Gail Ann Hurd. So right. this is a lot of the beginning of a great filmmaker's work. I mean, this is really the, the opening steps to 
a guy who we have that own little rule that we have with with, uh, with a lot of sequels. Not everything needs to be a franchise. Yeah. So we sometimes say no sequels unless James Cameron. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I I kept reading it, so we try to read a lot. I try to watch these movies a lot and read a lot. Um, I read a, at the time there were a lot of people who. Um, there was this movie was really panned critically. I mean, yes. people thought it was sort of just forgettable, throwaway violence and action. It's supposed to be um, a B movie, but but uh, but the there are a lot of people also that said that oh well, this is Arnold Schwarzenegger's actual comeback. Like he, they thought he was the one. He was like a, just a one hit wonder for Conan and really couldn't do anything else. And then when Schwarzenegger came back, they were like, oh, he actually he's has a range to do something, even though the range is playing a deranged, psychopathic, violent robot killer. Um, it was like, oh my gosh, look at what he, what else he can do. So uh, Matt uh, set us up here. Uh, we're talking again about the defining Arnold Schwarzenegger role. Uh, if you had to sum up the plot to The Terminator, what is this movie about? In the future, the robots have taken over. Humanity is on its last legs. And um, what's left of the humans sends back a champion to save the life of the mother of their leader who allowed them to defeat the robots to retroactively kill the leader that stops the robots before he's born. Sending a soldier back in time to save her and destroy the killer robot called the Terminator that's sent back through a time machine (laughs) uh, and you have to come through it naked. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) And I think about this like... um, Back to the Future was after this movie. Um, so in terms of these whole like these whole ideas of doing a time travel movie for a broad audience that has this whole like has this whole like, oh, we gotta make this change so this thing doesn't end up happening was probably a pretty new concept for people who were for moviegoers, right? Now it's sort of like predestination paradox is like a thing that you expect with a time travel movie. But for this movie, I think probably a lot of people did not know what the fuck was going on. Yeah, it's definitely... You have to explain it twice for, them, for the audience to get it. It has more hard sci-fi elements than you would imagine that a movie of this kind would have. I mean, there's so many elements that loop of causation, the idea right. of you send a killer robot back in time to kill your leader before he's born, and in a weird sort of way are responsible for him existing in the first place because of that mission. Right. That the soldier is his father but he doesn't he knows that in the future but he doesn't know that now and and they even go even more into depth in that in the sequel but it really is a great movie i think it's i i i really gotta say that i mean despite how convoluted that is when you actually watch the movie it's pretty it's a very simple idea and it's done very effectively i think probably the big thing that on rewatching it now what's actually really amazing is um how much they try to sort of unfurl this kind of you know this plot device this sort of this plot conceit um in ways that are really simple and a lot of showing and not telling like for example sarah connor in the phone book and then the next scene she's punching in her time card into at work and it says sarah connor like they've done so much more explanation just by having those sort of two scenes inserted in there of who these people are where they're going um, and where the conflict is, uh, where the conflict is going to be taking place, but sh- purely by putting two things back to back, it's it's, it's really genius. In th- I think the Terminator is one of the greatest examples of a film that overperforms for what it was expected to be. Right. It was a 
genre B movie that cost nothing. It was a relatively first-time director. He had quasi-directed a feature film before, Piranha 2. Did he get fired off of it? He did, and there's a wonderful story about that experience, and we'll sure we'll get into it in a second. I'll tell you a lot about Jim and the way he looks at the world. Um, It was supposed to be a B-movie. It wasn't a studio movie. This is an independently financed film. Most of the people who are the -the above-the-line talent, the producers, the directors, uh, writers, were were unknown. And had worked previously with each other at uh, for Roger Corman, who mm-hmm. is like a sort of B movie factory. Right. But uh, how many people came out of Corman? You've, you know, the list is is everyone from James Horner to Cameron to Galen Hurd, and then you go back farther in time. It's uh, 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 Francis Ford Coppola and um, Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson, and not just as actors and directors, but you know, playing all the parts, doing all the stuff, working behind the scenes. James Cameron started, uh, you know, working for Corman as a set dresser with Bill Paxton, hmm. and set dressing in that. You know, I worked for a company very similar to what Corman was doing uh, about ten years after this, maybe fifteen years after this, and it was sort of, you know, if you're there and you have a good idea, and you can get it on the screen without anyone noticing. <laughs> You can do it. No one's going to notice. It's too fast. Every idea, the idea of economy, uh, he needed to get across that that was there were more than well, there's one more than one Sarah. So it's a shot of her putting her time right. card in. That's it. Now maybe a, lar- a larger film might do it in a different way. They would have established her at home with a home life, all, and then she would have gone to work. But instead, because of economy and a lack of budget in time, he's forced. To tell the story in the most visual way possible. Right. How many movies can you watch with the sound off and know exactly who or what's going on, especially when one with time travel paradoxes? Right. I've never heard anyone argue about the rationality of time travel in the original Terminator. Every other time travel movie I've ever experienced, there's always someone going, but, but, right. but. Right. It's because it's lean and mean and it is what happens when you take a bunch of hungry, talented young people and not get out of their way, but just d- guys at the top just didn't care. They said, right. finish it. Yeah, we're not going to market it. Get right. it out. Get it in the can as soon as possible. And yeah. it was the greatest thing they ever did was being was, was not getting in their way. And I'm sure if they were here now, they'd go, oh, they stopped us from doing many, many things. There are a lot of things that are excised from the film that would make more of the traditional time travel thing happen. But instead, it was probably cut for time, length. And they ended up with something not better than – it wasn't better than they intended. The filmmakers made the movie they wanted to make. Mm-hmm. They didn't make a dime on it, but hmm. it made their lives moving forward. Every one of them has an Academy Award. Hmm. And maybe even Bill Paxton. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> and there are a lot of other people in the movie. And everyone's good in it. Everyone gives 110%. And all the films that came after it that were – that emulating the Terminator, an entire genre of B movies that had one of the elements, either kill a robot or a future or some kind of post-apocalyptic future. There are hundreds of them from every country in the world. Every one of them misses all the magic of the Terminator. They they saw a poster and they said, "Oh, killer robot." It's not the killer robot that makes people right. love the Terminator. It's not necessarily Arnold Schwarzenegger either. It's every piece of the movie yeah. is so flawlessly put together, but not because they're experienced or fantastic because they're they're not experienced and they have a vision well what i think is actually amazing when you consider this is that uh jim cameron had a lot of 
respect. He loved Alien, the first Alien movie, so much so, obviously, that he went and he made the sequel to it. Um, but he took that idea of the strong female, that idea of the sort of Ridley Scott's overly detailed, crowded frame, the gr- gritty, crowded frame. Everything is there, and you can uh, you can even see shades of like the miniature effects work that he did on Escape from L.A. in all of the stuff that's in Escape the future. New York. Or, excuse me, yes, excuse me, Escape from New York Sorry. in there. You can, he's, you can see he's assembling all of these influences from other sci-fi or, or sort of horror-like movies around this time and assembling it into something that um, I, it really stands on its own as sort of a singular as a singular exemplar of that genre. Well, I think what what really makes this movie great is the leanness that you're talking about, is that it doesn't waste time. There isn't a scene in this movie that you can afford to cut out. Everything has a purpose. Everything is moving towards something. Even where it's just apparently a standalone scene, like Kyle Reese, a soldier who gets sent back in time, remembers uh, being in the barracks and looking at a photograph of, of Sarah Connor. And the Terminators break in. Not only does it build that future that we've seen and what the human race has been brought down to. But that photograph itself becomes important later and yeah. becomes the thing that ties the movie together. Yeah. And, and just it, another one of those pieces of visual storytelling where you're like, oh, this is this is uh, introduced and it's paid off many times. It's, you know, it's every every element is is rich for for payoffs. And again, the, the moments that they try to inject that stuff into the story where we try to explain how time travel works It's Kyle Reese being interrogated by a psychologist who thinks he's crazy. And Kyle Reese says, no, we don't have time for this. This thing is coming. It's going to kill her. We don't have time for you to talk to me in a condescending way. He's like, well, why don't you just bring a gray gun? That seems a little bit strange. Like He's pointing out plot holes. He's like, listen, I didn't build the fucking thing. (laughs) He says, I don't know tech stuff. I don't know tech stuff. He's just a rocket man. He doesn't know. It's just his job five days a week. Or every day. Well, I mean, we're, we're... we're obviously getting ahead of ourselves because this show is about Arnold Schwarzenegger and uh. Uh, and Arnold Schwarzenegger. I would say his entrance in the original Terminator is probably the best entrance of Arnold in any movie ever. It hits it's, a lot of the points that we have here. One, Arnold is naked. Yes. <laughs> and you actually get to see his penis yeah, a little bit. Yeah, this is the only time that I can know that uh, Schwarzenegger is swinging pipe in a movie. Yeah. For sure. But I've seen HD, it many, yes. I've seen it many, 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 many times. <laughs> and I have to say, and I would not be embarrassed, I just never noticed. Oh. Oh, really? Yeah. I just never I, noticed. I don't think I ever, I don't think up until recently I hadn't seen something that was on VHS or DVD, but now that I've seen an HD version, I'm like, yeah, there's some pipe swinging. I have to go and there. check it out again, because that's important. <laughs> but uh, I gotta say, this is one of the few movies where Arnold plays the villain. Yeah. Um, I, I just per- one more part about his entrance. He, he he's, he's naked, he gets up, he turns, he walks, we're at the Griffith Observatory, and he walks over to the edge and he sees all of LA, and I'm thinking in that moment... Arnold Schwarzenegger probably didn't know it, but he's like, I'm going to own this place. Yes. He's like, I'm lording over you all. You he, are mine, Hollywood. I think he knew it. <laughs> I think that's what the only thing that scares me about him yeah. is that he, he, he knew it. Yeah. He, what yeah. I really love about Arnold, and there's a reason when we talk about Arnold Schwarzenegger movies, I have a tendency to have movies like Commando and Predator and uh, those movies that we usually see, the prototypical Arnold, I have a tendency to put them in a different category than the Schwar- the Schwarzenegger Terminator movies. Yeah. Because the Terminator movies, he's not doing the same kind of performance. In the other movies, you know, like Predator and stuff, there's a twinkle in his eye. There's this part of him that says, hey, we're having fun now. All of them can be seen as high-end comedies. Yeah. yeah. Except 
very precise comedies, except for The Terminator. Mm-hmm. The Terminator, the twinkle is gone. There's this economy of motion that Arnold has in these movies, that everything he does is cold. He's just always moving in straight lines. And there is no fun in this guy's eyes. He plays, and this sounds well, like an insult, but he plays a machine so frighteningly well. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. I mean, he was filming uh, Conan the Destroyer at the same time. There was He was basically on break from Conan the Destroyer. And he was, I've seen this more than once uh, written about, is that he remarked that uh, he didn't think much of this movie. He called it a piece of shit movie. So he probably all, isn't doing the same thing that he's doing in Conan or whatever, because I think that he just feels like this is probably like a lot of other people. This movie is going to be a flop and no one's going to see it phoning and it's it a waste in, of time phoning it in may look robotic coming right. from him and he we, wasn't having fun which maybe but I know that he had fun fucking great but in it this. looks like you know he is 100% believable right but also I mean uh, uh, along with that I mean he might have been skeptical about how important it was for his career but on the other hand I think that uh, you know that I've read that James Cameron was very open with him about being able to him being able to have his own opinion about how blocking would work in certain things. And so Arnold Schwarzenegger had the freedom. He would have had that freedom 10 years later, you know. But in this, he kind of got the freedom to work on his character, quote unquote, even though it's a robot, um, in a way that probably not a lot of actors get to do. Maybe that was how important he was to the production, or maybe it was just like Arnold wanting to do a little bit more, wanting to inject a little bit more into this character, and and he, there there is a character there. There is. You think soulless robot? Yeah, it can't be too hard. But there is a character there. But again, that's that plot of this is a guy who has a singular focus. This is I have one job. I'm going to do it, and if you get in my way, you get hurt. And what I love best about that is he frequently doesn't break eye contact to hurt the person who gets in his way. Right. That when he goes into the nightclub because Sarah Connor's supposed to be there, he walks in and a bouncer grabs him on the shoulder. Yeah. Without looking up, <laughs> he reaches up and breaks this dude's fingers, lowers him down, never makes eye contact or turns around, doesn't slow down. The same way when he, I want to go into that phone booth, grabs that guy, throws him, that goes, man, you got a real <laughs> attitude problem. And the guy is massive. Yeah. 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 Which is the only way it makes sense. He's not an emotionless robot. He has one emotion. Mm -hmm. The emotion is kill Sarah Connor and everything else is just you're in the way. He just doesn't give a shit. I mean, there's casual Even kids' toys. Yeah. Drives right Right. over it. Actually, one of my favorite bits with this, the destructiveness of it, is he steals that car. He just punches out the window, gets in, and it's these little things that separate him from being a human. That if I was going to break a window, one, I'd wrap my hand up, and two... I would brush the glass off of the seat. He doesn't give a shit. I mean, he's got, you know, he's a metal exoskeleton with flesh over top of it. He's shredding the hell out of his ass right now, but he doesn't give a shit. Right, right. That is that he (laughs) just sat on broken glass, and even when he slams the door closed, some of it falls on his shoulder. It's commitment. Yeah, he just doesn't care. Right. He doesn't care because this is irrelevant. I'm only wearing clothes that I stole from that punk at the bus stop because that makes my job easier if I'm not stopped all the time. Well, that's the kind of thing that the difference... uh, It's a great example you give. The difference between what Jim did in The Terminator and what, say, another director... We're assuming he's there a lesser director, right? Say, someone who didn't care or didn't have a vision. Whoever else would have directed the movie if it ever got made. Uh... He could have sold the script and it would have been turned into something else. Another director at this budget level probably would have said, oh, yeah, that's fine. Moving on. Jim is the kind of guy with a hundred, two hundred million dollar budget 
or a no budget is going to say we're doing that again. Hmm. And most would say, well, we don't have time, we don't have the budget, we don't have the money. He's thought it out beforehand, but he'll get it right and he'll figure out how to solve whatever he's lost to get that shot. Because if you have a hundred perfect shots in your mind and you start giving up ground, eventually end up with nothing. Hmm. You end up with the with with a competent film, not I guess I could say a masterpiece. Yeah, when, and the idea of the masterpiece is really interesting to me because in retrospect, we look at the Terminator now and we know, okay, well, this is, it launched a huge franchise. Terminator 2 Judgment Day was amazingly successful. It won Oscars. It was like the biggest movie that year. And then, of course, it spawned a bunch of other different movies, video games or whatever. At the time, it was savaged. Mm-hmm. Like people, the critics thought it was terrible. I mean, and of course, now you know, like in 2008, the original Terminator was uh, nominated, selected for the National Film Registry for a culturally important work. Like, how do you, how do we square the fact that at the time, if you were to read a, read a movie review, people would have been like, it's stupid, senselessly violent, and he's a, it's a killing robot, and it's just not all that interesting. And you flash forward 20 something years later, and then people are like, Yes, this was actually something that was really great. What accounts for that complete inability for especially opinion makers in in for film to completely miss miss it entirely, to miss how great it was because of the genre. Yeah. Hmm. It, I know that uh, there's been a time I saw a quote from Kurt Vonnegut where he talked about the perceptions of science fiction and says that the drawer marked science fiction is usually mistaken for a urinal by serious critics. Hmm. Mm. And I think that people are like, this is trash, this is trash. I mean, look at the stuff that, like, um, who's the guy who wrote all those uh, pulp stories back in the day, the te- pulp detective stuff, like The Thin Man and... Hammett? Yeah, Dashiell Hammett. Mm. That was considered disposable trash at the time. It's pulp. It's the it's paper. They, it wasn't worth real paper. Yeah, it wasn't something we put in a book. We just publish a bunch of short stories, usually in a serial form. But we talk about it like it's art now because we understand that it isn't just fancy stuff that uh, is written about in the the journals of the day that is something that affects our culture and is worthy of serious critical, you know, look. Right. Is that The Terminator is one of those things. I'm not going to say that it's the greatest film of all time, but it is an incredibly smart uh, it's got an economy of scenes. It does everything incredibly well. I, I think one of the things that I, after seeing it like four time, four or five times, like I have in the past couple of weeks, how it spends the first, I mean, it spends the first 20 minutes introducing Kyle Reese and the Terminator and getting them to the part where, you know, you're pursuing Sarah Connor. It actually sidelines that part of the plot to explain Sarah and her roommate and their boyfriend and Lieutenant Traxler and Vukovic and their relation, like, like the, the Traxler and Vukovic are interesting because they're like a married couple. Yeah. <laughs> it's, and then the it's a really fun, it's very very fun relationship between Sarah Connor and Ginger, her roommate, and their boyfriend. Like these people live these lives. They're in. They have. There's something that's interesting that happens between them. They don't. You know. They don't just. You know. Just throw the robot right at them and make her run away from it. Like you give her a sense that she's a person that belongs. It would be very very easy uh, for a filmmaker doing a no budget horror type movie to basically just throw cardboard characters up there and then create tension and gore and create a chase and go. No, he spends time actually like making, giving these characters a, a second and possibly third dimension. Well, he and, gives and make Sa- it work. He gives Sarah Connor a life to lose. Yeah. That you actually get to see her as a regular person who has a regular life and regular problems before she realizes that this 
lowly waitress is actually one of the most important people in history. And it makes the, I guess, the attack of the Terminator, this invasion into her life, seem like something just happened because it gives you a sense of what her normal life is like, that she has a she has a friend who has a boyfriend and just everything with like the boyfriend calling up and starting like a dirty phone call without realizing that it's Sarah and then restarting restarting yeah. I love it yeah. but his his attitude when he realizes Sarah he's so embarrassed and he's apologizing but again it's like he just starts right from scratch when when he puts gin, she puts Ginger on the phone and am I the only person that forgets that Sarah Connor has a pet iguana. Yeah, Pugsley. The Pugsley. Yes, Pugsley yes. is one of two named characters that has a close encounter with the Terminator and comes and out lives. alive. The other one is is Doctor Silverman. Yeah, he misses it because of the beeper. The beeper. He walks out at exactly the right time in that police station. But uh, poor Pugsley is nobody's feeding Pugsley. Everybody <laughs> in that apartment is now dead. Well, I don't know what iguanas eat, but Basmata and uh, the guy uh, Matt, the character Matt, who's. Uh, Gonna bust you up, man. <laughs> Gonna bust uh, you up, man. Well, he, he, he's in Top Gun and a bunch of other movies, yeah. too, and yeah. um, no longer acting. But, um, yeah, it's the shorthand of believing that she has a life and then this happens to her. Not she's just a chess piece in the story I want to tell. If the Terminator never showed up, would you watch that movie? Maybe not. But their lives were continuing, and that, that choice... Sometimes people retroactively say all these choices were made and there's all this like grand scheming and things but in this re- in this regard all of it mate all of it is just as important as everything else to Jim. Hmm. And and he continues to do that in all his films hmm. which is why they he only he tends to not work with the same people more than once or for an entire career. You either can or cannot be part of that. And Arnold is very similar in the same way. There are people who who are they'll work with him and they'll want to work with him again to the end of time or or it doesn't work. And it's because I think he's take, he doesn't take it seriously that Glint is is him. Hmm. And if if that's appealing to you, then you're going to want to be around that and you're going to want to sit in the theater and watch that. I mean, Raw Deal, I, most people haven't seen Raw Deal. He's a small town sheriff. Arnold Schwarzenegger is, I believe he's not hiding out as a small-time sheriff. I think he actually is a small-time sheriff in, like, a Pacific Northwest place. And then he pretends to be in the mob. <laughs> so it's and Arnold not, and Donnie Brasco. Not the Austrian mob, but, like, the mafia. Right. And it's in, I mean, and I love the movie. It's fantastic. But, I mean, those two things, only that twinkle allows you to sure. be part of that. Yeah, sure. sure. I, I, I guess I should also say that, um, so Arnold Schwarzenegger, I think he has like 14 lines in this movie. He doesn't have much. He's got some, he's got some actually some good moments like the beginning with the, uh, the punks at the very beginning. Oh, where Bill he just, Paxton right. with a amazing tire track tattoo on his face. <laughs> yeah. Blue spiked hair. Like that, like the, the, the lines that he does have, like choosing fuck you asshole out of a menu of how to talk yeah, back to like the landlord. Yeah, it's like he's constantly playing you know? like Fallout 3 and he's <laughs> yes. choosing his menu options. <laughs> so every piece of dialogue he has in this movie, is he still looking at that same menu? Well, you would assume so. And, and of course, uh, you know, it, sh- it shouldn't be news to anyone who knows Arnold Schwarzenegger is that this is the origin of his catchphrase. I mean... The catchphrase. Uh, yeah, that, uh, that I'll be back, which he actually, he wanted to say, I will be back, because he thought it was too feminine. He, th- he thought that all was too feminine, so to be more, like, scary and masculine... Apostrophes are feminine. I, I guess so. Contractions are, fe- are feminine. I will have the whole word. <laughs> <laughs> What's kind of great about it, right before he gives that catchphrase... Um, 
he knows he's going into that police station, and here's a mild inconvenience. I like that he seems to be measuring the size of that front counter. Can I fit a car through here? <laughs> yes. And he's actually measuring it. We yeah. just don't see the grid. Right. Yeah. My favorite part of that whole sequence is the right after he leaves, there's the the police officer looks down and goes, huh, and it looks down, and there's this insert of him scribbling yeah. with a pencil. Yeah. like, And it's it's very special. And then totally dead (laughs) but there's this this which is you know is someone going it's not you can't they don't have a file for that and he went well you know then he goes back to what he's doing in an insert you put an insert because you can't get it any other way or it's an afterthought that's not an afterthought Hmm. that's i want the audience to have a beat to think it's over Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and yet we know he's He's coming we back. Know, he's not going to wait to come back. <laughs> no. He's going to come back very quickly. And, you know, there was this thing they used to show on MTV when MTV first came out. And I, I guess they just – it was Arnold measuring the – doing that thing where he looks around the frame. And then they, they added like a little flying MTV like it was an insect flying over his head. And That's I always hilarious. thought that, you know, he is – he's looking at the movie screen going, I'm going to co- – I'm coming for you. Hmm. Right, and, and if they shot it with it coming straight at you, it would have been too obvious mm-hmm. and probably not feasible. Right. But, I mean, they drove a car through a wall, and for a B-movie, that's like your big thing. Oh, Like, yeah. that's your big moment. We have two moments, and we can only have one time where the glass breaks. We don't have any more. And he made he makes everything... Uh, he's like a chef who doesn't have a lot of ingredients, and he makes like the best, you know, ratatouille ever. Right. The thing that I also really love, as far as uh, foley work, you know, sound effects in this movie go, is that Arnold's character, when the, the outfit he has later in the movie with the leather jacket, is not what he wears for most of the movie. That's his post. I got set on fire outfit. <laughs> yeah, that's also that's a thing that I uh, never noticed before. He gets set on fire, and his hairstyle changes, and his eyebrows disappear yeah. because he got set on fire. And, and they're so gone. Looks and they're gone for the rest of the movie. Yep. And yeah. psychologically, if you never noticed it, it makes him even more inhuman. Right. Yeah. Yep. If you notice, though, his skin looks reddened too. It looks yep. like he has gotten a burn. Uh, the thing that I really like is that he's still wearing the same pants and boots that he had at the beginning, and. My favorite bit sound effect wise is that you hear a clicking sound when he walks and it's a chain on the bottom of his boot hmm. and you can hear him click click when he's walking it up spurs. Yeah. Yeah. It's like when you see him walking to the front doorstep of the first Sarah Connor in the phone book. Are you Sarah Connor? And you yes. Yes. And, yes. and I love the way he throws that door open. <laughs> it just looks so fucking vicious and it's just cold it's just a simple motion i'm gonna shoot you six times good enough walk away that was the big from what i remember the biggest negative and the big like don't let your kids see this was that sequence oh killing the the mother of two pushing in the door and then shooting in the head and then the shot of him unloading the gun and out of frame right. is the dead body. Right. And it's like, okay, the laser, we've never seen that before. I mean, he had a wire going down his pants, no, going into another room. They, they to didn't make have that. those. They no, didn't have lasers com- like that. He completely invented. Yeah. Uh, I, and the laser is right at the camera, so it feels like you're being targeted. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know there's no no missing. She's gone. And yeah. then he, he just ke- keeps pulling that trigger. And the sa- even the sound design for that gun is uh, is above what's acceptable and then i forget what the next shot is but of course it's something that's really quiet and relatively tranquil because he knows that you're going to need a moment i think it's back to the police station 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whatever. There's a beat where they know that the the viewer needs to can't process any new dialogue or information until they can get over what they just saw, and they didn't see anything. Right. That's the magic. Yeah, yeah. And notice oh. how he opens the door too. I mean, it's not a you know in almost any movie with a regular character they would do a door kick. It's a shove. It's a one-handed forward and it's shove. It's also in slow motion. Yeah. And there's a cute musical cue that's very... It, the clicking noise, the cues, all of it reminds us that he's not... Because it's easy to forget that he's a robot. Mm-hmm. It's clearly a man. All the stuff's there to remind us that there's something under there. And the genius is that it, it takes a long time to see what's under there. But once you do... That's where the movie gets even scarier. Yeah, yeah. and on then and for our purposes, uh, like unfortunately, towards the very last, uh, the very last part of the movie, there's there's no Arnold at all. Unfortunately, yeah, there's... he's not in the last. I checked this like 17 minutes of the movie. Yeah, because he's. I mean, the flesh has been burned off of him, and he. I love that sort of Harryhausen look to it. Yeah, in some yeah. of those shots. Uh, that stuff to me has such a charm. Oh, I mean, a lot of people would would say that as oh, well, it's dated, and you can you you know you can see that it it looks fakey rel- relative to the actual filmed person that's next to him. But I, but I mean, it. but I it it would be it would be so inconsistent to do a uh, George Lucas like we're redoing the effects for the Terminator Ooh. because it wouldn't because it wouldn't match the other practical and special effects that were in the movie. I don't think he would ever do that. And the, I the, hope the not. nightmare fuel. I've seen it. I can't even tell you how many times I've seen the movie. Still nightmare fuel for me is that shot of the the skeleton of the Terminator with a broken leg or an injured leg dragging itself and they're just trying to get the door closed and he, and they just get the door closed in time. And we've all seen that where oh it just in time right. and the hand oh it almost gets in there. It's rear projection. Which means that the actors on the day saw what we see. It's right. a film being projected from the opposite side of a screen and that screen is on the opposite side of the door and he's coming towards us and he's not going to capture you it, for me that moment is if he got them Dead. he would have torn he would have crushed her head like Roy Batty right. he would have ripped them to pieces they would have been immediately it would have been no style he wouldn't have said anything he doesn't speak the only thing that reminds us of a humanity is that he's got teeth yeah because, right it's, yep yeah. And that's a choice too. Yeah. Lance Hendrickson, who plays Vukovic, Vukovic, Vukovic yeah. was supposed to be the Terminator. Yeah. And there's there are posters of him pre-production when they're trying to get financing of him. He showed up to the audition with uh tinfoil on his teeth because he was like, "Oh, okay, I get it. You know, he's a metal skeleton. Obviously, the teeth are going to be exposed. Why wouldn't you do that?" Jim is the kind of guy who would think about it. He's a fine artist in he looked at it and he went, the te- metal teeth mean all, there's no, there's no thing, there's nothing behind it. It's just a machine. Mm-hmm. Keeping the teeth means that it has a, ch- it's still sort of human, which means it has a choice, but it's choosing to do, still trying mm-hmm. to kill them. And it makes it like, you still think, oh, I can reason with it. It's got meat on it. If it was all metal, then it's, then you're like, oh, well, there's nothing to reason with here. The teeth mean something. Yeah. Yeah. The, That's- the Terminator at the beginning of the movie, to me, is far scarier when he has the 1980s kind of Joey Lawrence combed in the middle haircut, Yeah, where he's wearing you know that gray jacket with the chain on it, and he's got kind of that Trapper Keeper kind of design on his jacket. He stole it from that punk dude. Um, he looks like some sort of a 
weird. Well, he survived. Yeah. The clo- the guy who gave up his clothes, Bill Paxton, didn't survive. The other guy who's the villain in... Brian something, who was in, in X-Files. He's the villain in Cobra. Oh, my God, oh, he yeah. is. Yeah. That's right. And then the Got other guy jaw. gave up his stuff. Yeah, Bill Paxton gets thrown against the, the wall. Um, and the other guy gets punched he through gets the heart. He gets his heart ripped out. It was like a Mortal Kombat fatality. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like, and he finish him. him. It punched through the heart and lifts him by it. And then, and then takes it out and covered you know, in blood. Yeah. I mean, it's, and it's, it's, and it's not like, oh, red blood. It's like black. It's, yeah. It's it is. There's, it's real. It seems real, and of course, the third guy does what anyone would do. Right. You, yeah, there's no. It's like there's times when the Terminator tells you to do something, you fucking do it. Like when he goes, "Get out!" Right. To the second guy I, who's I, in that truck. I've got to say, this is my my favorite Bill Paxton role. Oh. <laughs> even though he's only, even though he's only got a couple lines, he's still does, my favorite. It's uh, the most memorable. It's the most memorable one. More than I, Chet. Yeah. <laughs> but that's what I like, though, is that these are not. People that you would give a name to a lot of the times in movies. These are these well, side I, characters, but everyone feels like a person. The the punks at the bus stop feel like people. They actually kind of make fun of him because their assumption at first is that this dude's on drugs and he's just a you know a Hollywood weirdo. Yeah, it, they th- start playing with him at first. They're like, "Nice night for a walk, buddy." <laughs> you know, laundry gonna... laundry day. Yeah. <laughs> right? Nothing clean, right? And they're right. snapping in front of his, and they're yeah. laughing to each other. Nothing clean, right? And it's just like it's—he's just so gone. And because he's a robot, he's just repeating it, and he's probably doing measurements at that moment. Right? And yeah, they're just fucking. Which with we him. show in, in Terminator Two, they show the measurements, right? Which makes sense, but in, you know, because they could, yeah. And and the character is—it's a, a light. That's a far lighter movie. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. But when you say like. It seems like the Bill Paxton punk and the Best Mata roommate and all these people are so real. But they're they're I don't want to say they're his friends, but at the time they were his peers. Mm-hmm. So if you're gonna if if I'm gonna make a movie and you guys are gonna be in it, I'm I'm not gonna call you guy number one and guy number two. Mm-hmm. And I'm not gonna give you nothing to do. Best Mata, the one who's the roommate, is she's still act. She's very talented. She was more most famous for doing the uh, jazzer size stuff, that which oh. was like the sort of like pseudo porn, but not. That where it's totally, like girls that like, totally makes sense for her character, who is constantly listening she's, and she's dancing a the whole female, time. Female uh, fitness bodybuilder at the time, she was a bodybuilder. Now she would be considered a fitness model or something. And she still, you know, in, does all that stuff and has books and all that. But he cast her. And she she could have been a female Terminator. She was mm-hmm. probably the prototype in his mind for, you know, uh, uh, Jeanette Goldstein as Vasquez. Mm. Um, and why that why she isn't Vasquez? It, I, I'm, it's okay that she is, and I love Jeanette. But right. I, you know, why Bess wasn't f- didn't fulfill that role? I don't mm. know. Mm. But all of the people and Lance Hendrickson and all these characters. The, these are, I mean, it's a hard scrabble thing to do a B movie and really shoot it fast and everything. But you've got, it, maybe they weren't a family, but they were all in the same boat together. Instead hmm. of I'm a star and you work for this and this is your thing. Gonna, and there's no way Bill Paxton wasn't helping out. I was going to say the only one who doesn't who doesn't really apply to that is Arnold Schwarzenegger at this moment. Yeah. Like he's the he's the guy that I that it that it didn't from what I read it didn't seem like. He was clearly not James Cameron's first choice, and I think they were probably pretty skeptical about. I think they needed, like yeah. any movie does, they need but, a name, right. and he's you know it makes total sense. He was cast. Lance Hendrickson 
it, the Lance Hendrickson's performance would have been more, I would guess, more akin to uh, what Robert Patrick did in Terminator 2. Right. Mm-hmm. And the, the idea that he's small and deadly is is a totally different, but you can't start there. Yeah. Right? You can't have a little man beat up a big man. Right. I mean, it's, it looks it's, weird. It's a monster movie, right? So you need to have the person look looking like a monster, and he does yeah. look like and a I monster. And I think that the the Robert Patrick thing works in the second movie because it's in direct contrast to Arnold. Yeah. And I think what really works with Arnold in this is that all of these side characters having those little bits of personality really help Arnold seem that much more inhuman. That it's everyone has their perspective, own perspective, yeah. Yeah, they all have their own little quirks. Like, there's that bit at the police station where Sarah Connor finally is talking to the cops, and you can tell they really don't believe Kyle Reese's story. He's in the other room being questioned by a psychologist, and they're trying to go, listen, uh, this is scary. And they're like, but she's like, but I saw him punch through a windshield. And he's like, he was probably on PCP. And you see and the that, scar? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He gets interrupted. He, he, he always it. keeps, he always is like, stop. Yeah, stop. He's, he's like, about stories. to tell a story because yeah. he's like, oh man, you know, I saw this guy once. That, and he's like, just, no, <laughs> not right now. She's not, this isn't the, she's disturbed. <laughs> yeah, they're the cops in that, when they, when the Terminator shows up and starts shooting and killing everybody, they're killing that people. That is the most horrific thing ever. I mean, someone yeah. attacks a police station and the mass shootings and these kind of things, like this. It, they happened, but they weren't anything like they are now. He kills basically a whole police station. You hear, you hear screams of ag- they're not all dead. You hear yeah, screams right. of agony. He right. walks past people who are still alive. He shoots through walls. Yes, people who assume that oh, I'll shoot him, he'll die. There's they, they, they get killed immediately. They, they, it's it, they're completely surprised of what happens. They're not missing him. And that's the thing that makes this especially scary. There's one shot where he's going through an office area with a bunch of, you know, desks and stuff like that. And this cop bursts out with a revolver and shoots him twice. The hero for every any other yeah. movie. Yeah. That guy's the biggest hero. Yeah. And what you see happen is Arnold staggers back a little bit and there's a glass divider behind him. It suddenly goes with cracks all over it. And you realize what happened in that moment is the bullet just passed all the way through him and it did fucking nothing. <laughs> Behind him, yeah. he shoots one, and then at some point, one of the police officers r- is running away down a hallway, and and the Terminator casually puts his one arm out. I don't even think he's looking at him. Yeah, and he shoots him in the back with a shotgun. Yeah, and he's like the, almost the cop, at the door. The cop, when have you seen a law a law enforcement running away from the threat in any other movie yeah. ever? Yeah, yeah, never. Yeah. But yeah, the same thing, shooting through a but wall. he's a smart guy. Yeah. <laughs> it's a thing that they really make this guy fucking unstoppable. They have, they need to, they can't just, most movies would have said, he's unstoppable, you can't. And then that's it. But we need, as humans, we need to be constantly reminded that that fl- clearly human actor isn't human. Yeah. there's. I mean, there's other parts to it that are even more nuanced than that because there are parts when Kyle Reese gets away, gets away with Sarah, and then you see... Uh, Detective Terminator, which I actually really, really love. Like, in the moments when he can't just run you down and shoot you, he is going right away to finding exactly what he needs to, like searching through the drawer to find the picture of Sarah Connor so he knows what she looks like, or uh, taking her diary or address book so he can track down her mom. Like, all all of these things are like... For over and above what you would expect, just a, a hulking monster killer to he do. He doesn't know magically. He doesn't have any way now to like tap in. Well, 1984, there was nothing for him really to tap There's into. No internet, right? But now he would, you know. Now in the third one, I think like she puts her finger in, you know, but the 
something and it you know downloads everything she needs to know. But I mean, Big Bear. I don't know how many Big Bears uh, in the ma- it's a it's an area outside of Los Angeles where there are mountains and cabins. And it makes sense that she would tell her mother to go to the cabin in Big Bear. But it's multiple multiple hours to drive to. So somewhere there's a side quill where it's the Terminator driving to Big Bear because he's going there to answer the phone. Yeah, right. He he's killed her. That we we don't see her. She's clearly dead. He go he's going there to. To what? To he's not going to interrogate the mother. He killed her. Yeah. He's going there to wait because he knows that and, Sarah is going to call. And they do that all. I mean, the, the way they communicate is they do it all in one shot. You hear, you see the. You start with a, a, a like. You see the house, and then as you pan, you hear the voice, and, and then a bol- you see huge hole in the door. Yeah, a giant hole in the door, and then it comes over, and then I think you see like the. You might see the body o- yeah. over, and then you hear the voice, and then of course it's it's Arnold Schwarzenegger mouthing, lip syncing the words, yeah. and talking to her over the phone, saying "I love you too," and yeah. hanging on the phone. Like they 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 settled all of what happened in one pan and shot, and she's not convinced either because yeah. when, when they cut to Sarah Linda Hamilton, she before the phone goes dead or she hangs up. She, her look of her face is that's something's not right. Yeah. Right. The right. thing I really love too is that I actually saw Terminator Two before I saw Terminator One. I saw Terminator Two in the theaters, and then I saw this movie at a sleepover when I was like ten years old. And I love how jarring the change in Sarah Connor is. Yeah. Um, yes. In between movies, that I saw the Sarah Connor who's sort of this badass, I know my destiny and I know what I need to become to ready my son for his destiny character. And I went into this one and you see her as a scared waitress. And that transformation is actually really powerful when you see her as somebody who slowly becomes that Sarah Connor from the second movie. At the end of this one, there's actually a line where... Uh, they've just set off that one pipe bomb at close range. Um, the Terminator's coming in. Kyle is fucked up. He is messed up. He's been shot already. We see her yeah. moment where she becomes the warrior. Right. Yeah, or, or the leader. Yeah, she's trying to get him up, and she just says, get on your feet, soldier. And it's that point that she sounds like Terminator 2 Sarah. Yeah. And I'm just like, holy shit. And it just it's such a great moment um, because you see her become that character that she has to become. It's this great transformation from the beginning of the movie to the end. And... I, I want to talk a bit about Michael Bean as, oh, yeah. as Kyle Reese, because yeah. we have barely talked about him at all. Yeah, because the most important part of Kyle Reese, the bum pants. Yeah. See, he has those bum pants for the whole... Hey, man, you see that a lot? <laughs> real <laughs> it's bright my pants. Yeah. That actor who played the bum uh, has, has like five or six credited roles as transient hobo bum wino. I worked with a guy once who everything he ever did was... <laughs> Homeless guy. Is, are you going to eat that? You know, like he just looks and he showed up and he, you know, I wasn't... He doesn't didn't have like a... British accents, and he oh, I studied at Juilliard. Right. But he was, but you know, he he just that's what he looked like. He had, yeah. the, he had the right look, and that guy's yeah. in a lot. I'm just gonna say it, shared universe <laughs> for sure. But um, what I do again, the bum pants is a big part of it. Is that when you first see Kyle Reese, you don't know that he's a hero in this movie. Yeah, that he shows up, and the first thing he does. One, he steals a homeless guy's pants, and then two, holds a cop at gunpoint and screams at him. Yeah. So right off the bat, you don't know if he's a good guy. You know that he's also chasing down Sarah Connor. He does a harder time of it than the Terminator. The Terminator just uses outright brutality, and since Kyle Reese is not invulnerable, he has to be a lot more careful. Um, like, he has to steal shoes and stuff like that. Right. He has a shotgun with probably limited ammunition. But... 
he looks pretty scary. He's very stalker-like, and he's yep. also yeah. very. Uh, you see him the, the the Terminator when it, when he appears. It's just like you know orb of light, and he's just you know he's taking a knee, and it's very uh, it's cinematic. Powerful. It's powerful. It makes sense when Kyle. Uh, appears he has to he, catch his breath he's he's on his side he's in a fetal position his he's got war wounds yeah. he's kind of smoking um he doesn't fall out of the sky i don't think someone he, just, he falls but, like a foot off but, no, right. no 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 actually i i, I only saw this uh, this morning when i saw it again they they the ball of light effect is actually in one shot and it's about five feet off the ground the light and, storm yeah the the light storm there you go that's what so, that lightning is so the he light does storm. so he does fall, he's supposed to fall like five feet under the ground right. so he really is hitting the pavement you know and he's in a lot of pain when he comes right. out yeah. i mean arnold doesn't feel pain i mean pain just is he probably notices that he's been damaged but if it's not stopping him he doesn't think it's worth looking at he just covers up to the degree that this is what i need to do to continue my mission and not arouse suspicion he does the self-surgery just just to fix the things that he um needs to and then the the most Efficient robotic choice would be, oh, well, sunglasses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, he just has to cover the parts of him that he can so that he can show up at the police station. Covers his eyebrows. It also makes it easier for the actor to not wear prosthetic non-eyebrows right. the whole right. time. And shoot blanks and guns and things that you're not squinting. Because if you have a Terminator who's squinting every time the gun goes off, it looks bad. That's, Which is yeah. why everyone in the Matrix wears sunglasses. Because mm. real humans who aren't psychopaths, when the gun goes off near them in their hands, they, they, they fl- their eyes flinch. Yeah. But if you're the one or a killer robot doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah, actually, in the beginning, uh, especially the one where he kills the first Sarakana, you do see Arnold. Squ- he flinches a little bit when the gun starts firing. Right. He's Austrian. He, he doesn't he know. He doesn't know guns. He's Austrian. <laughs> he does a really good job of suppressing those. Those though, and I, I buy it. I buy that role. And actually, the uh, contrast between uh, Michael Bean and Arnold Schwarzenegger, the Terminator, and Kyle Reese in this movie, is one of my favorite things uh, leading up to it, and that. You have this one guy who's sort of this living, you know, Adonis. He's like this god, and everything he does is sort of easy. And you have this other guy who's covered in scars. He's handsome, but he's handsome in a really rough way. Oh, he's, where, he's damaged on the outside and on the inside. You know, he's know? covered in scars. That There's a sort of a gauntness about him, sort of a hard muscle. Like, this is a guy who's probably lived underground and eaten rats and before. And born, born after, you know, born after the Troubles born after the humanity is right, lost right. doesn't know is is shocked when he looks around he says all this i always said it was funny he looks he's in the car with her and he says all he's explaining what happened and they're in a parking garage while he's stealing a car in a really cool way and he says all this is gone and i always thought well like the parking garage like what do you mean all this it's like <laughs> all, all of it's gone it's yeah. all gone and he does he's if there was a scene where he stopped and went what's that she said a tree it would be too it would be steven spielberg right yeah right it, yeah, I, I, it's kind of weird because you look at his character in that moment, and he sort of has the Rick Grimes method of explaining things to people, which is, I'm going to come across like a deranged lunatic because I don't know how to explain this because every person I've ever talked to before you about it. the future, yeah, yeah, there's no explaining this shit. It's like, yeah, it's all fucking burned. Everyone's dead, and <laughs> it's probably scary. She's the first person he's ever had to explain that that happened. Yeah, yeah. There was yeah. you don't have to with anyone else, and it's, but yeah, the fact is he acts like a kidnapper, and the fact that you don't know if he's a good guy or a bad guy until to probably about thirty forty minutes into the movie, sure. That when he shows up at the bar and he's looking across at her, 
I mean, for a lot of times when she locks eyes with him occasionally and sees him following her, as far as she's concerned, he is the guy killing all the she's Sarah Connors. She's 100% sure that th- that Kyle is the man who's killing people with her name. Yeah. And if you hadn't seen a trailer or hadn't heard about the film and somehow you just discovered it on your own, maybe you wouldn't it, you wouldn't know. Yeah. I mean, it's a Terminator's clearly out there to get people. Um, if you've never seen a movie before, maybe. But yeah, you see how hard it is for uh, Kyle to get all of these things, including a car and stuff like that. You see the, the Terminator hotwire a car and you see Kyle hotwire a car. Right. Terminator just goes, rip, pulls up that steering column bit twists his fingers with the wires on. You see Kyle mess with it for a while. He's got to hammer away with that shotgun. He's going to do all that. It's just um, harder. Getting uh, clothing is harder. Uh, getting guns is harder. With that scene where the Terminator talks to Dick Miller, who's one of my favorite little character actors, at the gun shop. One of my favorite... Again, well, that's yeah. a Roger... See, that's the Roger Cor- another Roger Corman yeah. connection. Who hmm. also appears in Joe Dante films, also Corman connection. Right. Um, I really, really love that Dick Miller scene because it's the Terminator, uh, one, he's taking up a lot of this gun shop owner's time and he just looks annoyed at him, but he's just like, he's kind of impressed that this guy knows all these weapons. I do like that. He just kind of brushes off the Terminator asking for a plasma rifle. <laughs> yeah. First thing he asks for is the only what you see, pal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's annoyed until it sounds like the Terminator is going to buy everything. <laughs> And then he's like, oh, I'm clear. I can go home well, early. Well, my, my favorite Dick Miller line there is when he says, and he got a big laugh. I remember it got a big laugh, and it was all, all except, uh, paraphrasing, all acceptable for home defense. All yeah. acceptable for and home defense. And one of the defense. things like he mentioned was an Uzi. Uzi yeah, yes. I'll take that. I'll take the Uzi 9mm. <laughs> and he's like, oh, that's perfect. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's like, which one? Yeah. All. <laughs> <laughs> and just, but I love that. And he just starts loading the shotgun. Hey, hey you can't do that. Wrong. <laughs> Bam! And I, what I love about that is it, for all that talk that people had in, in that moment when this movie came out about it being horrifically violent, you don't see Dick Miller get shot. You see a close-up of the shotgun barrel blasting. Right. And a lot of the people the Terminator kills, until the police station, a lot of it is off camera. Yeah, Poli- and part of that, part of that is um, a lesser filmmaker would be like, we'll put squibs on Dick Miller, we'll show him get shot, but... You don't it's, need that. You don't, a, you don't need it, and B, it takes time, and it yeah. costs money. A, a Paul Verhoeven would definitely get every shot in that he possibly could. Every every person right. dying get as Peck many and, squibs Peck as and Paul would be, all the weapons would be used in slow motion against, uh, <laughs> against <laughs> Nick. I, I did notice the other thing. They both, uh, both the Terminator and Kyle Reese use a phone book. Yeah. Uh, the Terminator can just look at it and memorize it, but Kyle Reese does the Marty McFly thing where yeah. he rips the page out. Yeah. Right. And I had the weirdest thought while watching it, which is, that's fucking rude. <laughs> what if there's some guy named, like, you know, you know, Stuart Conway, and I desperately need to call him, and I open up the, like, fuck, the page is gone. It's, oh. I just always find that kind of funny, that every time that that happens in a movie, but... I, you know what I'm I'm impressed that we haven't talked talk about with is that uh, so Brad Fidel is the guy F- Fidel Fidel is the guy who does the music and he he eventually scores Terminator Two as well. Um, it wasn't Horner. No, no, it's Brad Fidel who did the. Well, who, Fidel wrote the the main theme. Didn't James Horner do the music? He did maybe a different arrangement of it for the. He probably he might have done a different arrangement for the. But we know the, that they worked you know a long. Uh, oh, did uh, they? Oh, they worked a long oh, career Corman, together. Were they both Corman guys? Well. Jim Cameron worked, uh, did all the uh, miniatures for a Korn movie called Battle Behind the Stars. Oh, yeah. And that's a great H- score. That's Horner's first score, uh, fully sc- you know, credit, I th- and almost all the other people involved. And it's sort of a, 
came out after Star Wars, and it's like the Magnificent Seven hmm. in space. Cool. Uh, but he did all the in all the uh, props and um, not props, all the miniatures and uh, motion capture and, and not motion capture the uh, uh, animation for the spaceships and all that stuff. He did. Uh, in you know, just in that regard, and you mentioned earlier the Escape from New York doing the same kind of stuff. Yeah, well, I mean, well, the thing about the score is, yeah, uh, you're right that you probably could watch it without any of the dialogue, without any of the music or this or the sound effects, and understand what was happening. But there's a way in which you're you're sort of the audience is primed when you hear do 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 do. Do, 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 do. Like there's that he just has that percussive like that really strange time and signature then the percussion iron bar yeah ding tank yeah but, but, it, it it primes you to know oh the Terminator is going to fuck shit up you know but it's also Sarah very... Connor gets her own theme they kind of yeah. like kind of this more saccharine uh, sort of love theme that she gets that they do a couple it's different in a times. stark contrast to the rest of it it's like normal life and then just with Arnold it's the, the sort of synth yeah, it's tranquil. <laughs> Yeah. It's like it's like the music is sneaking up on you. It's like it's there. It can take its time, and it will get you. And I, oh, I, I really do love it. It's probably one of the most iconic movie scores out there. Especially if you think of movie scores not written by John Williams out there. Right. It's amazing how I guess really underrated the Terminator theme is. I mean, how many people know it? It's just it's the incredible. Last, the last thing that's thought even thought of when it comes to a low budget movie i mean maybe is score and sound design right and when you see a movie that's a relatively low budget that has an amazing score and fantastic sound design it means that people put in the time when there wasn't any money right and that's passion right yeah it's the little things that really make this one we had this debate on our arnold panel which is will he be remembered more for this the terminator or for conan I think for this one. Yeah. I think that this is his catchphrase. This is the the costume, the look that people know him from. I think that uh, the movie that people have actually seen, I think they know that he was Conan, but I think far Few people. fewer people have actually seen Conan. Well, what about you? you Matt, you said that you first saw the Con- him and Conan movie. Um, yeah. Like, so he was, that was your first exposure to Arnold. Do you, in prototypical, do you look back on him and do you see him in the... As the Terminator role, as like your platonic ideal Arnold, I would say I know that he thinks that, hmm. and he it's clear. I mean, he he holds a, a, a lot of affection for John Milius for casting him as Conan, hmm. um, and and I think he's perfect in the movie, and that, that's an I could do as much time as you have on that movie. <laughs> uh, John Milius, I've never worked with him, and I, we probably don't agree on a lot of things, but right. I agree with that <laughs> right. him his filmmaking and his uh, in in the Conan the Barbarian. I think that's what it's called, or is it just called Conan? The Conan the Barbarian, and then Conan the Destroyer, which I don't believe I don't was talk, John Milius. I don't want to talk about that. Okay, <laughs> uh, don't worry. Not, not many about, people do. Let's not talk about Destroyer. Um, okay. So I think he thinks that, and I know from personal experience that he thinks that that the Terminator is is what not only made him him, but he sees. I don't say he sees himself as the Terminator, but clearly his catchphrase and his. Uh, entire career is the foundation is that I would say, and it, it's so interesting because uh, the Terminator is 
evil. Yes. Well, <laughs> and he the spends the rest. Movie. He basically almost he's only all, evil in the first movie, right? And and he 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 plays a bunch of characters afterwards, where he's the good. He's obviously the quintessential good guy, and then he reforms the Terminator character in Terminator Two. But it is interesting because it's for a guy who's known as being the hero. Yeah, it's the movie where he is the villain. Yeah, the ultimate villain. And maybe the only movie where he's the villain. Oh, also. Batman and Robin. Yeah. <laughs> Another movie I replaced think, a bad I think guy. Joel Schumacher's the villain there. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, Bless there, his heart. There's, there's one scene in particular that I fucking adore in this movie. It's some of my favorite movie editing in anything of image, of sound, and of the musical score. You know, the actual uh, soundtrack happening at the same time. It's the tech noir scene. Oh, yeah. It's the moment where Sarah Connor has been trying to get the cops on the phone. She finally talks to them, and she talks to Traxler, who says, stay where you are, stay where people can see you. Uh, We will get there in a hot minute. And it's the way that the music hits this rising action in the song, just as the Terminator walks through the door, walks past the people at the front desk, and peers in and looks at everyone, then just walks around just goes past security, walks right in. Security. Takes out takes out the security guard because he yeah. didn't pay. He didn't pay. And <laughs> what I love about it, too, is that after that one security guard, nobody else still tries to stop hey, this Tony, guy. Hey, Tony, that guy didn't pay. Yeah. I What I love about it is just it's so well edited. And it's just the music hits. And then oh, she's... The, be- the best part is that when he first passes by her, she drops her drink and bends down, and he misses her on the first pass. Yeah. Like, Saved by fate. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's so absolutely, totally incredible for them to do that when they don't need to. I mean, they, they could have just cut to him walking up, slow motion, he approaches her straight on, raises up the gun, and then Kyle Reese is behind him, but no, they to, stretch it out. To they, build tension, yeah. and which aligns with the score perfectly, yeah. the, the, the pop music fades down as the score fades up, Mm-hmm. Now the dancers are everything's in slow motion. Yeah, we're allowed to take in her final moments because mm-hmm. it's all slow. Yeah, because they've and done this then, before when she's killed the other he's it, other it, Sarah Connor, right? And, but once that first shot, now we're back in real time and yeah. everything is faster than you that you're really you're not even ready for it. Yeah, right. I love that the Terminator walks by a message that sort of like you said that the music fades down and the score fades in, but there's this moment where it sounds kind of echoey as the Terminator walks by and she's you know underneath you know her seat getting her drink as he just peers over and walks past and when she gets back up she meets eyes with with Kyle Reese across the bar with the killer Yeah. yeah and she just goes oh my god it's him so in that moment she's scared of the wrong guy and then when she sees that guy pull out a shotgun <laughs> I love that uh, I love that so much but it also the bit that when the Terminator walks up to her the time he takes with the gun that he has in his hand he pulls it out turns on the laser beam racks back the slide I mean he takes every deliberate move and she reacts in the way that I think any normal person would. No normal people are just like, this isn't real. Deer in the headlights. Yeah. yeah. She is just like, this isn't real. Uh, uh, and I fucking love it. Everything to, you know, when Kyle Reese blasts him with a shotgun, he goes down and his hand twitching a little bit. And just the way Arnold's eyes open up more right before he gets back up. It's right, just like, right. holy shit. And one is he's unstoppable, but also this guy is not human. Right. 
Uh, uh, well, also about the thing about Sarah Connor is that's that's probably the last time in her whole life that she freezes up. Yeah. Every time after then, she's ready for the fact that on a knife's edge, she could be dead, and so she has to move. Nothing. So that's, nothing that's is, the death of the old Sarah Connor. Nothing is as it seems. She thought Kyle Reese was the killer. She's never seen the Arnold before. No. Yeah. And then this person appears in front of her with a ray gun, basically, in yeah. 1984. And that's it. The movie should be over. She gets shot. Kyle Reese, what, turns into Marty McFly? No. <laughs> oh, he's he probably going to turn into the next he'd homeless guy who gets his pants he'd stolen. He'd be alive. <laughs> yeah. And then um, that's it. Yeah. Right. That he's stuck in the future that he knows that he can't stop. That's Ooh. like the worst fucking fate that you know that you can't save well, the future Well, he had from now. 1984 to what, the mid-90s? 97. 97. Yeah. So and that not, whole time you know, he knows that this time there's going to be no John Connor. Right. That would be the fucking worst. And then he has to, for, well, <laughs> instead of becoming an alcoholic and ruining his career, he, he, has to be, he forged John himself Connor. into a weapon and saved the world anyway. A, a more interesting kind of counterfactual thing would be the Terminator completes its mission, but if after he kills Sarah Connor, it doesn't just shut himself down. It probably tries to make the robots rise faster. Yeah. He becomes the president of the United States. <laughs> <laughs> or, or or the governor of California. Or the, yes. <laughs> but there's actually one, one final thing I, I want to talk about in this movie that really stood out to me. And I don't know why I never noticed it before I watched it for this episode. This is the only movie that I've had where Arnold gets killed and somebody gets a catchphrase on him. Yeah. You're yeah. terminated, fucker. Right. This is the only time that somebody gets him, hits the button, and fucking crushes him. Is it the only time he dies in a movie? End of days. He dies almost every single time as the Terminator. I don't think he... I think aside from the most recent but he's, appearance but he as the Terminator. he sacrifices himself, yeah. though, and those were, you know... Right. But yeah. he almost... Ne- he's unstoppable in he almost every lose. movie. He only loses in this one. Yeah. This is the only one where he's actually the antagonist, but Sarah Connor uh, becomes the Sarah Connor that we need her to be. And of course, that I, I kind of love it. It's Kyle dies, and she has to step up to be that hero because he's not there anymore. The soldier isn't there anymore, and she's got to become that person. And everything in that final scene is just so fucking well done. And, oh, huh, you guys ready for our two questions to finish yeah, this sucker out? Let's do it. Okay. First question this is that one. I, it's probably the easiest fucking thing in the world, especially if you're listening to this conversation. <laughs> right, right. Is The Terminator a good movie? Yeah, I mean, it's a great movie. You know, 2008 National Film Registry, a huge franchise, a franchise that will outlive Arnold Schwarzenegger. They'll still be making some type of spin offs after he's in the ground. You know, they'll probably have CGI Arnold's, you know. Um, and like we've said before, it's kind of going to be the symbol for his entire career as an actor or his entire life will probably be a term not be a guy on stage with a bikini flexing he will be the guy with the shades on who has a blank look on his face and a leather jacket i not only doesn't hold up i think but it may be responsible for what we would people would say star wars jaws created the tentpole movie i think the terminator took what would be a B movie or B genre elevated it and with Determ- with Terminator 2 success established that what was once B is now A. Hmm. Jaws oh, interesting. was sort of not a maybe started out as a B movie and Star Wars was something that really had never come before. 
But they all had budgets. They had studios behind them. This is something that was made as basically an independent film, independent of a studio, and changed the trajectory for studio films after it. Hmm. And I don't think, other than maybe Quentin Tarantino in maybe some of the stuff from the 60s, like Easy Rider and things like that, I, I don't really think anything is uh, is done so much to affect the way that movies are now, franchises, genre stuff, and than the original Terminator from 1984. Wow. Wow. I, you know, it, absolutely, I think this is a great movie. I think it holds up incredibly well. I I look at this, and it's just, I, we've said this before, this is an incredibly lean movie. It knows exactly what it needs to be. It doesn't waste any time. I, I love the universe that's created in this thing. I love that we know what the future is going to become. And there's this battle that has these incredibly high stakes that's happening in the middle of Los Angeles in 1984. And every other character in the movie, except from Kyle Reese, Sarah Connor, and the Terminator, has no idea that it's happening. As far as they know, there's just a police station shooting. There's a couple people that get murdered. They don't know the scale of the things that's happening. They And to the degree they get involved in the story, they think this is crazy. They don't believe it for a second. And what I love about it is the idea that these people, whether it's Ginger or Matt or uh, the wonderfully slimy and condescending Dr. Silberman, uh, played by Earl Bowen, who deserves all the credit in the world for his role. He's just yawning and, while talking. About, and, and great that he's uh, the one character besides Sarah and the Terminator who makes it into the second movie. And it's a total natural flow for he him is, to go to that character. He has such a wonderful he made, prick. He made a career out of it, right? Yeah. He's like, I, I could make a career off this guy. And he does. He does. Uh, I love the idea that, again, there's the stakes in all these people who feel like real characters. Everyone, Ginger, Matt, even Pugsley has a name <laughs> and is a place in this world uh, and a role. Like You get the impression that this is Sarah Connor's pet. Ginger thinks it's gross. It tells us that Sarah is not the average girl. No. Mm. I, and I love that about it. The relationship between the, the two cops. There's a bit where uh, Traxler asks for a cigarette and... Uh, and and Volkovich asks, gives him one, and he looks at the pack, and he's starting to open the pack, but he realizes the the, the hand that he's going to use to open the pack of cigarettes already has a lit cigarette in it, <laughs> and he just goes, huh. And I I love that. I love that little relationship. I could see those guys as the lead characters in a cop movie, and that's this very real world that's been invaded by this sci-fi story, and the the villain is just so wonderfully realized that they actually minimize the special effects they need to show how dangerous he is or any of his abilities, and it just fucking works. Yeah. I really, really love The Terminator. But movie itself aside, now we ask the big question. Is this a good Arnold Schwarzenegger movie? Does mm. The Terminator belong in that echelon of uh, cinematic dynamism... I'm, it's a word. I made it up. Sure. That we call the Schwarzenegger canon. Yeah, I mean, it's undoubtedly part of the canon, but for the reasons that we said before, it doesn't have the twinkle. It doesn't have the the, have the Arnold looks like he's really enjoying doing this uh, because he's playing that quintessential Arnold, Arnold character. It isn't really until, like I said, he sort of reform, remediates this character in Terminator 2 Judgment Day where he kind of has a heart of gold. This one, he's got a cold heart of steel, um, and it's... It's Arnold, and it sounds like Arnold. It looks like Arnold, and it has his characteristic physicality about it. But it doesn't 
it doesn't delight in the same way that we would watching you and I would watching Commando. You yeah. know what I mean? It, don't, no, it doesn't have those moments. It's not fun violence. It's no. scary violence. No, no. I have to agree that it's it's foundational, but it is not an Arnold movie. It's right. a Jim Cameron movie, hmm. and he's in it, and he plays a character that was created. Someone else was going to play, and he does a really great job of it. But the Arnold, I mean, even Conan, I don't think is an Arnold movie. That's a John Milius movie. But everything after Terminator is Arnold is in X. Yes. And his character's name is Arnold Schwarzenegger because right. you're not going to remember it what really, the name is. I mean, is. do you know what, I mean, can you, I, I think it, 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 Red Heat, it's clearly a Danko because it's, <laughs> in the, he goes, Danko, and he goes, you're welcome. You know, like, that's the only reason why I remember. I don't remember his name in, uh, uh, what's his name in Commando? John Matrix. John Matrix. John Matrix. John Matrix. Yeah. Why do you remember that? Because exactly. Matrix. Yeah. If, and people say it all in the movie, you know, a lot. But you, uh, Wes from Road Warrior. Um, but it, it's not, Terminator is not an Arnold film. Terminator 2 is. Hmm. Hmm. I, I, I'm sort of, I, I almost have to go because so much of the, the stuff we see in later movies comes from this, including I'll be back. Yeah. That's, the moments that's where, true. you know, he gets a couple catchphrases on people that he kills, including wrong. He could have just shot Dick Miller, the gun shop owner in that moment. He's like, Hey, you can't do that. Wrong. And that moment there is kind of those little touches of Arnold. So I but are really, those touches of Arnold or touches of Jim? I think they're touches of Jim that be, that mixed with Arnold and helped create the persona that we know as Arnold. And that's why they're so tight. They're so foundational yeah. to a lot of his screen persona that this is the movie that made him a star. This, this is the movie that made him... Something other than a collection of like five or six syllables that nobody tried to pronounce to a name, you know, because they tried to call him Arnold Strong when he was in Hercules in New right, York. Right. But now it's like, how can you go from like a five syllable name that everybody knows how no to pronounce? No one can't say Schwarzenegger. Yeah. Everybody no. knows how to say Schwarzenegger. And I got to say <laughs> that if there was an Arnold, you know, Mount Rushmore, Terminator's on it. Yeah. And, you know, this character. Um, and again, I, I do agree that this is a movie starring Arnold rather than a movie that exists to display Arnold. It's not a vehicle for Arnold. Yeah. that It's like we talked about before, that there are movies that Arnold is in where it's clear that there were some massive rewrites to play to his strengths. It's like, okay, this could have gone a totally different route, but we got to change the dialogue to give him some things to say. Yeah. we got to let him uh, smirk at the camera a little bit. Right. we got to let him have fun and be the Arnold that people want to see. Right. But here he's playing a character. and uh, But... That aside, I say I will put it in the Schwarzenegger canon because of its place in his career mm. and uh, because while he's not being prototypical Arnold, he's being a version of Arnold that we can't help but make synonymous with him as a person. Yeah. Then yeah. I, I can't separate the man from this character. Not ne completely. But neither can he. Yeah. <laughs> neither can Stan Winston and neither can Jim Cameron. And... When Arnold Schwarzenegger had a heart replacement, Jim Jim Cameron and uh, Stan Winston wrote a letter and and had it delivered to his hospital bed, and it said, basically, you know, get well soon. You're our Terminator, signed Jim and and Stan Winston, and it was delivered to his hospital bed. But it needed to be framed first, so I took it to the framing place. 
and I put my thumbprint next to their signatures, and then I had it framed. It's wow. somewhere, and it's going to be in the Smithsonian someday, and some alien in a far-flung future will maybe realize we'll that there's a you thumbprint on, on it. <laughs> because these That's opportunities amazing. don't come very often. And yeah. they That's loved awesome. him, but when they were try- when they were cheering him up, and he had just had his heart replaced. Outright replaced? And no, with another valve, heart. Right? With no, a, a, valve. A, a, a valve. Heart replacement. Oh, wow. Uh, maybe that's not public knowledge. Well, he got heart surgery. Uh, yeah, wasn't it transplant? It was, you're our, you can't die, you're our Terminator. Right. And that's a compliment. And I, I didn't see his reaction when he received it. But that when they thought of what their best friend or their friend needed to see on his, you know, in his hospital bed, that was it. Right. He was the Terminator for them. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. That's amazing. Absolutely. Thank you for being here, Matt. (laughs) Absolutely. That's awesome. That's great. I I could talk about that movie and those guys forever. So, uh, Matt Goodman, thank you for joining us again. If people want to know more about you and the projects you're working on, where can they look online? Well, if you look at IMDb, it's going to be boring. (laughs) So, uh, I don't know. Next time you're in Los Angeles, uh, uh, do a little Google search and maybe you'll see what I'm up to. Um, there's the SciFest uh, uh, science fiction uh, one-act play festival, which happens every year for the past three years. I'm no longer producing it, but I am hmm. uh, part of it. And if you like Star Trek and anything genre, all of the actors are very talented, and you've seen them from Star Trek, Star Wars, and you have Fringe. Check us out there. That's cool. And uh, I do have a couple projects that may be coming up soon with my name on them. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us, and thank you, folks. We're going to see you in- not next month, not in two months, next week with oh, yes. Terminator 2, Judgment Day. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> See you guys next. Bye-bye. Bye. Howdy. Podcast de la Vista Baby is a production of Radio vs. the Martians and is hosted by Mike Gillis and Casey Doran. This podcast is recorded in beautiful Val Verde in Seattle, Washington. Our chief engineer is Casey Doran and our editor is Mike Gillis. Our original theme music was written and performed by James Wetzel with opening narration by Dan Lombardo. Special thanks to Sam Mulvey, Rob Kelly, James Wetzel, Paul Rue, Tobias Panshin, Scott Kramer, Kyle Hepworth, and Dan Lombardo. Please take the time to rate and review our show on iTunes and Stitcher and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And if you'd like to support the show financially, please consider becoming one of our Patreon subscribers. Even just a dollar a month gives you access to exclusive episodes. And finally, you can find us online at podcastalavistababy.com and radioversusthemartians.com. The 12 gauge autoloader. That's Italian. You can go pump or auto. The 45 long slide with laser siding. These are brand new. We just got them in. That's a good gun. You just touch the trigger, the beam comes on, and you put the red dot where you want the bullet to go. You can't miss. Anything else? Phased plasma rifle in the 40 watt range. Hey, just what you see, pal. The Uzi 9mm. You know your weapons, buddy. Any one of these is ideal for home defense. So, uh, which will it be? All. Oh. Let me close early today. 
is a 15-day wait on handguns, but the rifles you can take right now. You can't do that. Wrong.